you know, it really does make a big difference whenever, uh, you know, you start off the service with, with good praise and worship, with solid theology, solid lyrics. I definitely appreciate uh, Brother Adam and his hard work in picking those songs and everybody's hard work in practicing them. Uh, it does set us up for a, for, for a, you know, get our minds right to hear the Word of God. And so as we get in here, Francis Chan in his book, Halfway Herbert, you can go ahead and show the picture up there, uh, Jonathan, uh, describes a boy who can't seem to finish anything. My kids are laughing because they, they, they've read this book. We've, we've read this with them. And as you can see from the cover, he only brushes half of his teeth. I'll let you guess which one he brushes. Uh, when you're looking up there, he only does half of his chores. Everything he's asked to do, he only does half way. Uh, he spends his whole life that way until he finally learns the consequences of doing things halfway. And he realizes that God's plan isn't a halfway plan for him. And so today's sermon, we're going to be talking about the end of First Thessalonians here, the last verses. Uh, Paul admonishes the church to finish faithfully, to finish faithfully. And he gives them a series of kind of rapid fire admonitions and charges to remain faithful in the Lord. They're, they're, con- they're continue working faithfully until God's work has been completed in them. And I pray that as we, as we go through this, we realize we need to finish what we start, allow the, wor- the Lord to continue to work in us. He is faithful. He will complete that work, as we're going to talk about in a little bit. And may we be a people who do not go halfway, but a people that are all in. So let's go ahead and start reading in uh, 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 19 through 20, 29, or 28. So we'll start with, Do not quench the Spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast to what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you for your love and your mercy and your grace. God, thank you for the opportunity to, to be able to preach your word. I am more than uh, insignificant to do that, but God, you are worthy. And so God, may you preach through me. May your word come out and not mine. God, open up our hearts and minds. I know we've got a lot going on in our lives. I know there's nobody here that probably doesn't have something going on in their life that may distract them, uh, whether it's a bill that's difficult to pay, whether it's a family member that's estranged, whether it's a job issue, whether it's a marital issue or a, another family issue, whether it's a friend issue. God, there's so many things that we can be worried about. There's so many things that, that, can, that can steal our mind, that we can put our mind and set our mind on that thing instead of you. So God, I just pray that we repent of that right now, that we turn to you, and that our mind is completely on you as we get started today. We love you, praise you, and thank you. Amen. So today we're going to see three different ways that we should finish faithfully. And the first is, believers should finish faithfully by discerning with fortitude. By discerning with fortitude. I'm going to reread verses 19 through 22 here. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies. But in everything, hold fast to what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. So Paul has been kind of rapid-fire and commanding. If, if, if you've been looking even back through verses 12 through 15, we talked about building a healthy church. Then we talked about like having a healthy church family. Then we got to the next ones, and it was about 16 through 18. talks about God's will for your life, and you know, he's just kind of blasting us with these. And that, then he gets to verse 
uh, you know, 19 here, do not quench the spirit. And, and most of your translations, that word spirit is capitalized, meaning what? The Holy Spirit. So it's the spirit proper uh, noun here. And so that one's not really debatable too much. We kind of get that. But then what is this word quench? You know, we use quench a lot of times to say we quench our thirst. But actually in the Greek, this word quench really referred to fire. Do not quench fire. And so, so fire, it'd be like throwing water on a fire. You know, you make a campfire, you don't want to quench that fire if you still need it by throwing water on it. So, so what it's talking about, the Greek word here is spenime, spenime uh, which means to quench or e- extinguish. And, and so it's talking about how we should not quench the fire of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And so I, I think most of us kind of grasp that somewhat. But the question is, how does that practical look in our, practically look in our lives? What, what can we do that would quench that fire of the Holy Spirit in us that is trying to work and sanctify us and build us? What can we do? And, and I came up with five different things. There's much, much more that we could do that would quench the Spirit. But number one, we can quench the fire of the Holy Spirit when we resist sanctification when we resist sanctification. So when we resist the working of the Holy Spirit in our lives, when we actively resist God working in us, we, we quench the fire of the Spirit working in us. We're preventing Him from making us more like Christ by choosing our own way. We'll get into that concept more in our next point, actually. Number two, we quench the fire of the Holy Spirit when we tolerate impurity. So in our, our world is impure. Turn on the TV, go by a billboard, drive anywhere, listen to people's conversations. You will hear impure talk. You'll see impure images. You'll see impurity. There's pride, greed, all these impurities in our culture. And we are to quench, we, we quench or extinguish the work of the Spirit when we tolerate impurity in our own lives. When we are just okay with it. Oh, yeah, everybody struggles with that. So it's okay to dabble on that. It's okay to have that as a part of my life. And what we do is we, we kill the, the working of the Holy Spirit. We slow it down very significantly. We tolerate that. 1 Peter 1, 16 actually says, Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. So we should be living a holy life for the Lord. Number three, we quench the fire of the Holy Spirit when we are disobedient. When you disobey God, when you, when you actively disobey God, God calls you to do something and you don't. And you're like, nope, I don't want to do that. We, you create a barrier between God and yourself, and it's called sin. And when you're living in sin, when you're living in disobedience, you've created this barrier between you and God, and it prevents the Holy Spirit from working in you the way he needs to work in you. Number four, we quench the, the fire of the Holy Spirit when we gl- neglect prayer and Bible reading. When we neglect prayer and Bible reading. So two of the most important ways the Holy Spirit sanctifies us or helps us to grow more like Christ is through prayer, relationship with, with God, and through his word, learning who he is. So when we neglect that, we, 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 when, we, when we're not conversing with our Heavenly Father, when we're not reading about Him and His Word, we stunt our growth spiritually. And number five, we quench the fire of the Holy Spirit. This one, may, a lot of you may not think about this, but when we neglect His church, when we neglect His church. So God created us to have a personal relationship with Him. And that personal relationship is between you and God. And that is very true. It is a singular relationship. Your parents being a Christian doesn't make you more Christian. Yes, it will increase that, that, uh, that chance that you'll hear the gospel and that you'll become a Christian. It's a blessing, beautiful thing to be born in a Christian family. Don't get me wrong. But your parents' Christianity does not make you a Christian. You're just the same as, you know, your neighbors being a Christian doesn't make you a Christian. It is a personal relationship with God. But God created us to be in community. He didn't create us as just these islands 
of Christians just be, okay, you're here, you're here. Don't worry about connecting. Even God himself is a triune God. He is three in one in perfect community. So we, we neglect his church. When we do that, we quench the fire of the Spirit because God not only uses prayer and his word to grow us, not, does not only use his Holy Spirit using those things to grow us, but his Holy Spirit is, in, is infused in all of us. He lives, he lives inside of us as the Holy Spirit. And God and other people can help sharpen you as well. I, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. So when you neglect meeting together as a church, you stunt your spiritual growth because you need other people who can help point out blind spots in your life. Uh, if anybody's married, then you know what? I thought I was amazing until I got married, and I realized I was a sinner. So unless you have someone to sin against, it's really hard to realize you're sinning. But when you live with somebody and you realize, man, I'm really selfish. You know what? Like, I, I don't, I don't want to do that. I want to do what I want to do. You know, I lived, I lived my own life for a while, and I got married, and she's like, well, I want to do this. I'm like, well, I don't want to do that. You know, I mean, you know, like, or, or, you know, or, or I say I want to do this, and she's probably like, I don't. You know, and so what we realize, it, it helps sharpen us. We start to realize blind spots in our lives, and they can bring things into our, you know, into our minds that we don't know. Hebrews 10.25 says, not neglecting to meet together as some in the, are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. One other, another big reason we need to meet together is for hope, because here's the thing. This world, it stinks. I think most of us would agree with that. It's not real fun sometimes to look around and see the turmoil that we live in, but when we gather together, we have hope, right? And we can encourage one another as we see what day, the day of the Lord, which we just discussed, you know, a few weeks ago, God or Jesus Christ is coming back for us. I mean, how beautiful is that? We have hope, and so we can grow in that, and we can encourage one another. So we stunt our spiritual growth if we do not, we're not a part of the community of God. He uses that for our sanctification. Moving on, we see verses 20 and 21. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast to what is good. So in this context, context and in the context for today, this word prophecy means the preached word of God. So direct revelation, direct revelation meaning the words of God, the preached, like the, the written word of God that we have here, it ceased to exist after the big A apostles died. So, you know, you have Paul and the disciples who became the apostles. They wrote the Bible, and after they passed away, then uh, the word of God is now complete. That's why we see at the end of Revelation that no one can add or take away to the book, the book of this prophecy. So it means no one can add or take away from the Bible. That's why we know that cults like the Jehovah's Witness, like the Mormons, or things like that are, are cults. They're not, they're not orthodox Christianity because they've added to the word of God. So here we see that pastors are to preach the word. And if we kind of go through this, we have uh, you know, uh, sec- or 2 Timothy 4.2. Let's go ahead and just read through that real quick. Pastors, me, I'm supposed to preach the word, be ready in season and out of season reprove, rebuke, and exhort with, with complete patience and teaching. So we're, see, we're to see pastors are to preach the word, but then we see that that word, the scripture, is the word of God. And so that prophecy, we see this in Second Peter 1, 20 through 21. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes, comes from someone's own interpretation, for no prophecy was produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. We've talked about verbal plenary inspiration of scripture and how God wrote the Bible through men, but it is God's word for word writing. Yes, their personalities are in there, but it is exactly what God wanted to have. He chose who he wanted to write, what he wanted them to write, and how he wanted them to write it. So we have the actual word of God, not the word of man. And we see Paul finally refer to prophecy 
1626. But now it has been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations according to the command and of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith. I just wanted to make sure we kind of clarified that this whole prophecy is talking about the preached word of God, not new prophecy that we're seeing here. But why would people dis- despise preaching? Why would they despise prophecy? Why, why would they despise that? Why would they despise the preached word of God? And there are many reasons that, that one might despise prophecies or preaching. They may consider them, uh, like that means they may consider them as nothing or have contempt for them. It's an act of despise is not just not liking them, but it's actually having contempt. It's contempt of court, if we kind of see that. It's, it's des- despising, hating more so what it is. So some of these reasons might be because of a love for something more than the Word of God. And that can be music. I love music. I mean, you know, music's a great thing. But we shouldn't despise prophecies because we love music. And we see some churches do that. Some churches have so much music that they have nothing more than a mere devotional in their services. They gather and it's a concert, and then you just get eh, a little, little tiny snippet of the preached Word. I actually went to one service one time where there was zero sermon. And it was this concert that we kind of heard, and then everybody just left. And the preacher was like, oh, we don't have time for me to preach. And we all walked out. Didn't go back to visit that church, I'll be honest, because the Word of God is so important. Music is incredibly important. I love music, and it sets us up. It helps us to worship God. We worship through music. We worship through the Word. It is a great part. Others may despise preaching because it isn't entertaining enough. You know, prefer a movie, some kind of audio visual. Like, let's, let's just sit back and watch somebody, you know, something uh, with some action in it. And then others, and maybe more commonly, despise the preached word of God because they don't like feeling guilty in their conscience. They don't like somebody saying something that kind of strikes them. The word of God is sharp and living and active, right? It's sharper than a two-edged sword, penetrates. It hurts, you know? So sometimes you hear the word of God, and you're like, man, it's talking about me. Yeah, I need, to, I, I need to repent of that area. And a lot of people don't like that. They, they, they don't like being told that they're not good. You know, and that's what the Bible says throughout the whole Bible. No one's good, not even one. We're all bad, but Christ is good. And he saves us, and he, and he sanctifies us, and he makes us more like him. And how amazing is that, that it's all about him. It's not about us. It's about how great he is. And so whatever the reason, I pray that we do not despise prophecies. If we move on, though, we do see some qualifiers here in verses 21 through 22. But test everything, hold fast what is good, abstain from every form of evil. So when we hear the preached word of God, when we hear a preacher preach, when we listen to a podcast of some preacher preaching, we need to exercise discernment. Now, I dare dare not say we need to think critically, because what critical thinking does is make you prideful. And so don't listen to something critically. Oh, I don't like the way he says that. I don't like this. I don't like his tone. I don't like the, you know, we can, when we think critically, what we do is we put ourselves in the seat of God and we determine what's right, what's wrong. But we need to think spirit with a spirit-led discernment, a determination for that. We need to discern with fortitude. We need to discern with determination. So when we listen, we need to have a spirit-led discernment because sadly there's a growing number of false teachers in our world. And even among some mainline denominations that you think, oh, yeah, that should probably be pretty solid. Frankly, even among our own denomination, you may hear some teaching that you're like, wow, is that, is that really Baptist? I don't, I don't think that's Baptist. Because some people go off the rails. And as they say things, and as churches grow because of certain things they say, and they're like, oh, well, if I preach this way, our church will grow. You know, if, if I say this or I don't say this, 
our church will grow. People will see us as accepting of all. You know, people will see us as, as you know, more relevant, and, and they'll see us as more cultural, and, and they'll come in. And, and so before you know it, people can be preaching way off the rails. And some preachers are actually not of God, but they're father of the devil. And what they say is lies because they speak from their native tongue. And we actually see how we need to listen with discernment in 1 John 4, 1. John says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. We need to recognize that those who are not, we need to be able to recognize those who are not of God, those who are of the devil. And we need to exercise discernment. And how do we do that? What, what does it mean to be discerning? Well, first off, it's a gift from the Holy Spirit. Discernment comes from God himself. He gives us the ability to do that. So the power of the Holy Spirit, but he also uses his word. So we can't really discern something is right or wrong if we don't know what right is. When I was in medical school, you know, I was really overwhelmed with different heart murmurs. And there's just so many different heart murmurs. And they would ask you, well, how are you going to describe this heart murmur? You know, it was like one to six out of six as far as how loud it was. And whether it's systolic or diastolic, that's like when the heart squeezes or doesn't squeeze. And I just remember being like, man, uh, I don't know. I, you know. And what I learned was if I learn what a normal heart sounds like, if I listen to hundreds of normal hearts and I re- memorize, okay, these are all normal variants. This person's heart sounds like this, this person's heart, because we don't all sound the same. It's a little bit different the way we're made. If I know normal really well, then I can recognize abnormal. And that's so important to know the word of God. When you know the word well, and you've read it, and you've meditated on it, and you've studied it, then when somebody says something, you're like, oh, I have a scripture. The Holy Spirit will bring that scripture to mind, and you'll be able to be like, no, that is not right, because the Bible says this. And, And you'll see as we get into our next point, how we can use that discernment even through false teaching among different denominations. So as we see here, we are things that are discerned as right, we are to hold fast to. Things that are discerned as good, we are to hold fast to. But we are to hate and not partake in anything that is evil. I want to repeat that. Just kind of remember that. We are to hate and not partake in anything that is evil. And we see this summarized in Romans twelve nine as well. Abhor or hate what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Next, we see that in order to finish faithfully, we need to be desiring finality. Desiring finality. Let me go ahead and read 23 and 24 again. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. So verse 13 here is kind of the climax of this section. And you can kind of hear it first off as the longest verse that we have here. And we can see it's a kind of a really long run-on sentence here. It just kind of keeps going. He's got a lot of words in this, and it kind of just builds up. And he says, pretty much, may your whole being be blameless. May all of you be perfected in Christ. And may you be blameless until the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. What, what a charge. May you be completely sanctified or perfected until Christ comes. I think it's really important to understand this verse in context. So first off, we know that none of us can be perfectly sanctified this side of eternity. Anybody here perfect? Raise, raise your hand. I'll put my hand down because I'm not. All right, anybody? No? no that, that's good. That means you agree with the Bible that you're not. And so, so just like we're not able to rejoice always, we're not able to pray without ceasing, we're not able to always be thankful, as we just saw in verses 16 through 18, we're not able to be completely sanctified. Now, that doesn't decrease the command. The command is still rejoice always. The command is still be holy as I am holy, as we just saw in First Peter. So the command is the same, 
but the possibility of perfect sanctification on this side of eternity is zero because we have sinful flesh. We will be perfected one day in eternity, and we will be completely sanctified at one day, but that day is not today. But that doesn't change the command to be holy as, as, as Christ is holy, as God is holy. We're still to pursue perfection in Christ, even though we know the Bible teaches we won't actually get there until we die, until we are perfected in Christ. But we are still to live obediently to him. However, verse 23 has led to an erroneous teaching in the Nazarene and Methodist churches. John Wesley brought this actually out, and it's, it's referred to as entire sanctification. And some of you may not have even heard this before. Some of you may. Uh, I actually grew up in Methodist church and didn't hear this term, to be honest. It was kind of interesting. The Nazarene church seems to push it a lot harder. An entire sanctification is a false teaching that asserts a Christian can reach such a state of holiness on this side of eternity before death that he or she ceases to sin in this life. Wow, that is tough. Like, that's a tough teaching. I mean, I haven't met that person yet. I mean, I kind of want to meet somebody in the Nazarene church that says that they are entirely sanctified. I'd be like, okay, well, let me just follow you around for a couple of days, and let's see how unsanctified you are. I think it's really important because I, I know I'm not, and I haven't met anybody that is. I mean, that is just an amazing statement, in my opinion. It is very tough. And so they, they grasp this as their anchor verse for that understanding. And although we, won't, we will be entirely sanctified in eternity, it doesn't occur until we die or are raptured. This is a dangerous teaching because we still have much growth to do, my friends. Even the, the most holy of men and women that you know still have much growth to do. And as I was studying this, a verse popped to my mind that really kind of, I think, dropped the hammer on this teaching and really helped me understand. And this is discernment. This is how you exercise discernment. And 1 John 1, 8 through 10 says this, If we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all our unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. So none of us can say that we have no sin currently, that we are entirely sanctified. Because if, not, if we do, if we can actually say that, well, the Bible actually says that you're a liar and the truth is not in you. So if you get to the point where you can look around and say, I've arrived, I am sinless, I'm glad you get to live with me, Lauren. You know, if I, if I, if I, if I get to that point where, where, where I get there, well, first off, somebody smacking me in the back of the head would be what I would ask. So please, please help me. Um, you know, because I'm in sin. Like, I would be calling God a liar by saying, I have reached entire sanctification. But praise God, his, his work will come through completion in me. And he's got a lot of work to do still. He's got a whole lot of work to do still. But I love this verse, Philippians 1, 6. This gives us hope, even though we know, hey, we're not good. We're going to continue to do bad things. We've got to continually be sanctified. God's going to continually work through his Holy Spirit in our lives to progressively sanctify us, is the term, continue to make us more like him. We get this verse. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion today? No. Do you see that anywhere? Today? No, he's gonna, if you work really hard, you're going to be tomorrow maybe? No, the day of Jesus Christ. When you die and you meet him, or when he raptures us in the air, we meet to go meet him in the air, that is when you will be entirely sanctified. That is when you will be perfected in Christ. And how blessed, blessed are we for that? But his work is not done on us. 
mean, I look around. I mean, some of y'all might be a little further than me, but I know that work's not completed. I've been around y'all long enough to know, and I know it's not working in me too. And so it's so important that we are humble, that we realize, you know what, man, I'm not good naturally. My flesh wants to do what's wrong because that humility helps us to repent. It helps us to see that we need help, that, that we are wretched. I mean, I love Amazing Grace that saved a wretch like me, not a perfect person like me. No, it saved a wretch. And here's the thing, even after we're saved, yes, in eternity, we are justified. And right now, we're completely justified before Christ. And in eternity, yes, we can say, yes, we're sanctified if we look in the future. But right now, we're still, we have the flesh, and that flesh is wretched. It is bad. We are a new person, but we still have this body that is, that is just plagued by sin, that just wants to do what's wrong all the time. But how, how beautiful is it that that humility, when, we're, when we humble ourselves before Christ and we admit, hey, I'm a sinner, I need, I need you, how he forgives us, how that barrier is broken, and how he walks with us. I've included in the definition of progressive sanctification, entire sanctification, your handouts, you all can look uh, through that a little more. Obviously, we hold to progressive sanctification at cross point uh, here. So if we, if we continue to look, go back to this verse here, one other thing I want us to see here is that there are three parts of a person that are mentioned here. We see body, soul, and spirit. Body, soul, and spirit. And there are a couple of differing views of whether the soul and spirit are one or whether they're separate or, you know, and I'm not going to go into the weeds on that. I think that the Bible's pretty clear that we have a material and an immaterial self. The body and then the soul spirit kind of are used interchangeably. We see that many, many times. I won't get into the weeds, but Mary's Magnificat. I mean, you, you hear her say, my soul magnifies the Lord, my soul extols him, like, or my, my spirit. You know, you see them kind of in parallel. Um, but they're, then they're often used interchangeably. But what we see is obviously our material body is going to die. That's kind of what we're talking about, our flesh, our sinful flesh. It's going to die. And although death is, is horribly sad, and, you know, we've, we know we've lost some people that have been connected to this church, uh, you know, as far as some friends, family, different things like that. And it's horrible to see. But if somebody's a believer, it's also a beautiful thing to see because they've been set free from their bondage of sin, the sinful flesh. Now they're perfected in Christ. They're, I mean, how, uh, it's also a beautiful thing. But then we have our immaterial soul and spirit, which, is, which goes to meet with the Lord as soon as we die. But Paul's, and obviously our body will be resurrected, as we talked about a few weeks ago. It will be glorified. But, but this, this part of the body, where we're at right now, is not good, <laughs> not, not great. But Paul's emphasis using this tripartite division, uh, this threefold division, soul uh, and spirit and body, isn't really to create a division between the soul and spirit. I mean, we see throughout scriptures that it's pretty congruent to see those two as congruent natures. However, what he's trying to say is, it's he is going to sanctify all of us, every part of you, not just one part, not not just over here, not just over there. He's going to he's going to synthesize it's more of a synthesis than anything else. And I think I was talking with Pastor Kenny, my mentor. He was the pastor of the church that sent us out this past week. And he said a really, really wise statement. Sometimes when, we're, when we get to hard verses like this and it's got these this threefold division, our, our tendency as people, as humans, is to be to analyze things and that means to break them down into different parts to try to understand them because we're simple and we need to be able to take things apart to be able to understand you can't just look at a computer and understand how it works you got to take it apart to understand that sometimes and sometimes we try to do that even with the bible here but the main thrust of paul right here is just saying he's going to sanctify all of you not analysis but synthesis he's putting it together and saying he is going to sanctify 
every single part of you. And we can see that even in Luke 10, 27, whenever Jesus says this, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, your strength, right, and your mind. So we have four parts here, but again, Jesus isn't saying this is four distinct, you know, you're, all, you're still all one person. You're just like the, all these are distinct things. What he's saying is you should love God with all of you. That is his point, not to teach, okay, your soul and your spirit's different. This is, he says, hey, love God with all of yourself, and God will sanctify all of you over time. How amazing is that? I just wanted to kind of hit on those because those can be things that kind of come up. Then we get to verse 24. I love this. He who calls you is faithful. You all know that God's faithful? God is faithful. And it says he will surely do it. So we just talked about Philippians 1, 6, how he's going to complete the work that he started in us, that he is faithful. But I love in this verse, there's a future active tense of this verb. And then I love this emphatic adverb. He will surely do it. Like, man, it's like, man, he, he is faithful. He will do it. God's complete sanctification you, uh, of you in eternity is, done, is spoken as it is done already. And, and although false teachings have kind of come from that misunderstanding, there's, it's, also, it's a promise. It's a promise from God. It's not a promise that it happened now or that it happened yesterday. It's a promise that it will happen. He will surely do it. He will perfect you in Christ. You will be a joint heir with Christ. You have the Holy Spirit. That means you have a guarantee of salvation. He will surely do it. It is emphatic. It will happen. Not he might, but he will because he is faithful. And what he says, he always does. There's no promise that he breaks in the Bible. There's no promise today that he breaks for us. And how great is that? Brothers and sisters, if we want to finish faithfully, we need to be as those, to live as those who desire finality. Meaning we need to be thinking of heavenly things, not earthly things. We need to be heavenward in our, in our uh, bend. And as believers who desire finality, with, we are to, and, and we're living in hope for our future home with Christ, we should finally be decisively following. That brings us to our third point. Decisively following. Go ahead and read verses 25 through 28. Brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. So Paul ends this section of scripture with a charge to decisively follow through. And, and we see four different things, and we're going to just kind of break them down and talk about each one. So we are to decisively follow through being a people of prayer. That's the first one. By being a people of prayer. A very simple verse, verse 25. Brothers, pray for us. I don't think it's necessarily necessary today to, to stress how important prayer is. We talked about that a lot last week. Pray without cease. How important it is for us to be in constant conversation with Jesus Christ, with our Lord and Savior. We can't have a relationship with him if we are not conversing with him. And just how important that that is to be consistent. Then we get to the second point. We are to decisively follow through by being a people of fellowship. A people of fellowship. And that brings us to 26. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. Obviously, in our culture, this is a pretty uncomfortable verse. You know, you read this, and you're like, I don't know if I want people to greet me with a holy kiss. I'm not sure I know what a holy kiss looks like. And, and I, I get that. But let's first get to greet all the brothers. So first off, 
all the brothers means we're to greet everyone. That it means we're not to show favoritism. We're not to say, well, I like this side of the church, but I, you know, this side can do. No, we, 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 we greet all of the brothers. We, we don't show favoritism. James teaches against that too. We're to love the entire body. Yes, there's going to be certain people you click better with. I get that. But we're still to love the entire fellowship and to greet all the brothers. The main command in this verse is not the act of kissing. And, you know, and if we look back, the emphasis here is that we need to greet one another in love. And this form, the form of greeting and love needs to be appropriate for the culture in, in which you live. And there needs to be a welcome form of greeting between both persons. And so culture, and, and it actually, even if we go back to the cultural context of this, Paul, where he's at, uh, probably men were together and women were together. So men greeted men, women greeted women, so that awkwardness wasn't quite there as much. But in our culture today, we really need to be wise in how we greet one another. We want to make sure that the way we greet is respectful, that is loving, and certain people are going to be want you to greet a certain way. Other people are different. But I, I just I want to just throw this out: if somebody greets you in a way, or if I greet you in a way, or somebody greets you in a way that just makes you uncomfortable, you're like, you know, I'd prefer not to give you a hug. I'd prefer not to to do that. Be loving enough to just say, hey, you know, I really prefer this instead. And it's okay, and don't be offended if somebody says, hey, I want a fist bump instead of give you a man hug. Like, that, that is okay if that's where you're at. So we need to be respectful, we need to be loving, but we do need to be greeting one another. That means we need to talk. We need to actually say hi to one another. Greeting, just because you're maybe an introvert, doesn't mean you can just be like, I don't do people. I just, I, I, don't, I don't do people. No, the Bible says to greet all the brothers. That means you can't just pick two people of the church that you say hi to when you come in. We need to greet everyone, to be kind to everyone. That doesn't mean we're like, hey, I don't, I just don't want to talk to people. I don't really like that, so I'm just going to keep, keep to myself and do whatever we need to be loving. But we also need to be a church that re- loves one another by respecting boundaries as well. Number three here, we are decisively follow through being a people of the word. Verse 27. I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. And I love Paul's fire. I put you under oath. Like, you need to read this letter to everyone. Read the Word of God, and I love that. Like, I kind of want to do that with you all. I put you under oath to read the Bible this week. You know, like, I, I just want to just kind of bring that out. I mean, that's just such a, such a strong, you know, strong charge. I put you under oath. Like, that's, I mean, if you look at Jewish culture, oaths were a big deal. Like, you know, when, you, when you made a vow, like, it, it had to happen. It, it was not just, you know, people's words today, I mean, it's kind of like toilet paper. They're just reusable. Like, you, uh, I guess toilet paper is not reusable. <laughs> Pro- probably shouldn't use reused toilet paper. Kind of like, what you got for me? Corn cobs. There you go. I'm just kidding. Um, you know, corn, wow, that, that, was, that was really good. Thank you, Jonathan. I corn cobs. That actually got worse. I think that just went more south. Sorry. All right. So I'll try to get back to where I was. That was so good. That was good. All right. So what we're trying to say is we, we need to have zeal for the word of God. Like, you know, we need, to, we, we, need to, when, we need to have a vow that we're going to read the word of God. Man, that just made my day. I like that. That was good. And finally, we need a little laughing because it's getting hot in here. Somebody turned the heat up a little too much. <laughs> Lauren, do you touch the heat? <laughs> we <laughs> finally, we are to decisively follow through by being a people of grace. Brings us to our last point here, verse twenty-eight: The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Without grace, none can be saved. Right? We talk about Ephesians two eight and nine: By grace you have been saved through faith, not by your own works. It's a free gift of God. Right? So. Our entire lives should be marked by being people of grace. What that means is we're humble. 
because grace is unmerited favor. It's not merited favor. It's not, yeah, God loves me because I'm awesome. No, God loves me despite the fact I'm not good, that I continue to sin. God still loves me. We need to be people of grace. And so that helps us to be gracious and merciful to others because we realize they're still made in the image of God, and they're just like us. They're sinners. And so we need to still love them. And we need to be understanding others' needs, like the other, people, other people's needs, of grace as well. That they need the God of grace. They need Jesus Christ. They, they need the gospel. And we need to be a people of grace for ourselves, that we believe the gospel, understand the gospel. But we also need to be sharing the gospel with others because they need that grace as well. Paul, I love how he just ends this book, book with that word grace. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. And we take that grace. If we are a believer, we take that grace with us to other places. And shame on us if we don't share that grace with others. We understand what it's like to be guilty and be forgiven. A lot of people out there don't. We see tons of people taking their lives. And why? Because they don't understand grace completely. We, we see tons of people hopeless. We see tons of people trying to find their sense of self-worth in their job or in what people think of them. All these things because they don't understand unmerited favor. They're trying to earn somebody else's approval. They're trying to earn the approval of the world or of their boss or of their family or of whoever this is. But we understand what true grace is. We understand that you can't earn salvation, that you can't earn grace. Grace is unmerited favor. The punishment that we deserved because we are guilty was placed upon the cross. Upon Jesus Christ on the cross. And then three days later, he rose from the dead, defeating de sin and death, and now, by grace, we've been saved. My friends, I pray that each one of you all can say that, that I have grace. I'll walk around with grace. I have the Holy Spirit living in me as a guarantee of eternal life, that, that, that I am saved by grace through faith, not by my works. I realize that I can't earn it. I pray that everyone here can say that. If you can't, I'd love to talk to you about what that means. Because if you're not walking around with grace, I, I'm really sad for you. I'm really sad for you because if you try to keep working and earning salvation or earning approval, it will lead you empty, to an empty place. You'll always go down, go down a dead-end road. It will never lead you to true peace. Only Christ will. There is no more important decision in this life. As we come to a close, I pray that each of us finishes faithfully. True believers do remain faithful to the end. And I pray that we do this by we finish faithfully by being discerning, by desiring heavenly things, and by being decisive in our following of Christ. And may God strengthen you as you run this race of life with determination and perseverance. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, may we be a people that finishes faithfully. Lord, in a world where halfway seems to be the accepted thing, where people don't seem to, to do anything all the way, May we be a people that does finish faithfully, that we run the race to the end, that we run as those seeking to win the prize, not trying to earn salvation, but because we have. Those of us who are in Christ, we know what lies at the finish line. So we, we, should, we need to run with that determination and perseverance, knowing the reward that awaits us in eternity. We're not running to get salvation. We're running because we have salvation. And we're running to get there to the end of our road, the end of our road, whatever that is, however long that is. Some of us have longer roads than others. But God, we thank you so much that we know you're there to greet us at the finish line. And that because of what you did on the cross, not because of our own works, because of what you did on the cross, you're going to look at us if we are in you. And you're, you're going to say, well done, good and faithful servant. 
enter my rest. So God, I know I look forward to that day as we sing, we sing even again this week on that day. We will see you. you know, whether that day is today for, all of, for any of us that we go and meet the Lord today or whether it's the, Jesus Christ coming to rapture his church and we all go together. Uh, Lord God, I just pray that, that, that we have hope, that we live with that kind of hope looking to that and that we look at other people around us that don't have that hope and that you give us a boldness to share. Sadly, I've listened to a lot of evangelistic uh, things here lately, and especially on college campuses and so many people. Even if you ask them, can you convert me to your religion? They say, oh, no, I can't do that. That's not nice. Uh, it's, not, it's not kind to disagree with somebody or to try to convert somebody. You know, it's, it's a personal thing. And, and so many, even in the Christian church, have, have bought that lie that, that, it's, that it's hate-filled in order to share the gospel. That is exactly the opposite of what the Bible says. Matthew 28, we're to go and make disciples of all nations, right? And so, so I just pray that we see that, that, that actually we are hating people by not sharing your word, by not sharing the gospel with others. That is the worst form of hate we can do, is to stay silent. Help us to see that. I pray that you give us uh, uh, just boldness and encourage, uh, encourage us to, to reach out during this Thanksgiving season and Christmas season coming up. And help us to take these opportunities to share the gospel with those around us as people are more and more open to, to considering it during these seasons. Lord, we love you. We praise you. Thank you. May all have a blessed week. Amen.